Amen. Every once in a while, you just need to start over. We've all been there. When things have gotten so out of whack that it is better to start fresh than to try to finish the way that you already started. Anybody ever been there? A few years ago, uh, we were trying to save money and Jocelyn was giving me a haircut. And, uh, well, some of you already know where this is going. <laughs> we, were go- we were going out of town is what we were doing. We were, we were, there was a young minister's thing that we went to that year about eight or nine times. And we were getting ready to go to one of the final weekends of it. And I thought, well, I need a haircut. You know, I need to be cleaned up. I'm going to go look nice in front of all these people. And uh, she, uh, she got the, the, the buzzer out and, and she decided to clean the guard because it was messing up her ability to see what she was doing. And she, she cleaned off the guard and she came back. She got to put the guard on. And I mean, right in the front middle of my head just gapped me good. Not in here, so I can say it. I can I can share that story. We we thought, what are we going to do here? Because there was no guard. I mean, it was a. They say there's you know numbers one, two, three, whatever you want to get, but I mean it was a zero. <laughs> it was so out of whack that there was nothing left to do, but what. Just, just shave it all off and start over. I'm just going to grow a whole new head of hair. And so there are pictures of me somewhere online with a bald head. And, uh, man, did, did that group of young preachers have fun that weekend. I was Mr. Clean. I was, they got all kinds of nicknames for me. But th- there was no saving it. It was so out of whack, so, so messed up, we just had to start over growing some hair. Maybe you've had that experience. You were baking a cake or working on a home project. Maybe it was a diet. Maybe it was a diet you started two or three days ago. And it's so bad in the middle of the process that you look up and you realize things are never going to work this way. The cake is never going to set. The project's never going to turn out like you thought it would. The diet isn't really a diet at all. And so there's nothing left to do but start over fresh. We all arrive there. It, it only isn't in diets or home improvement projects or even haircuts. Sometimes it's our career. Sometimes our marriage, our parenting. But what I am here to talk to you about is when we need to start over in our faith. Because we all arrive at that place where we need a fresh new start. A new beginning. A reset to our faith. That perhaps we've grown a little too religious along the way. Perhaps we've lost our worship along the way. And we can get to a place where we're going through the motions, but we really need a refreshing that comes from God and from His Spirit. We just need a, a, a reset, a, a fresh start. Somebody say a fresh start. I remember when I was about eight years old, our parents bought all of us, me and my three siblings, a Nintendo for Christmas. And we, we were competitive. We were excited and thankful uh, we fought over who would get to play. We fought over what game we were going to play, which who was better at the game that we were playing. That's what we did is they bought us the gift of fighting. We just fight over that thing. Well, you're cheating. Every time I was losing, I was notorious as a kid. You're cheating. We'd be playing basketball in the drive. I'd run inside. Mommy's cheating. Why? Because he just keeps making baskets on me. But I like Nintendo because when I was losing, I had a little habit 
of edging over close to the Nintendo and absolutely hitting that reset button. And I, I remember my brother getting so mad at me, he wanted to punch me and drive me into the ground. But guess what? I wasn't losing anymore. It's a new beginning, a fresh start. And that was my favorite button. You see, this, this series is, is about resetting. It's about a new beginning. We're in that time of year where people are making resolutions and thinking about how we can do things better, how we can improve our lives since last year. Uh, and in the midst of all of that, this series is about taking a fresh look for the next few weeks at the book of Malachi. Because Malachi was a prophet of God. And, and he was sent with a message to the people of Israel. He came about a hundred years after Israel has returned from the captivity of Babylon. But the truth is it, that, that they really still had never recovered from 70 years of, ca- of being captives in Babylon. And so God calls Malachi to his people because his people's religion has been corrupted and their faith is not fresh anymore. They have passionless praise, and we're going to talk about that, that they've intermingled with the world so much that their relationships and their marriages are unrecognizable to God. They're losing their identity. They're they're still religious, but they're delivered, but still struggling. Can anybody relate to that? Still struggling, still dealing with problems all around them. Religious, but their faith in God is really faltered. They're doing religious things week in and week out, but really they don't have a lot of faith in God. They still come and offer sacrifice, but their worship is weak and passionless. They bring in the lame sacrifices to God. We'll talk about that in another week. And they are more caught up with the world around them than in in the purpose and the plan of God for them. And so God sends Malachi to refresh their faith, to restore their passion, to reset their relationship with the world and with God, and to renew their vision of the coming Messiah. See, God was speaking through Malachi to these frustrated and failing children of God, and he was calling them, just like he is us in the beginning of this year, he was calling them to a fresh faith. In fact, when he opens up the book, I, I was doing a little studying, uh, uh, studying on this, And in the King James Version, it says the burden of the word of the Lord. And that was a code word. In in the English Standard Version, it says the oracle. But that Hebrew word literally meant, it ain't good news, people. That's what it literally meant. It's when he opened up and said the burden of the word of the Lord. What he was communicating is that some things are off that God is about to set right. Some things are messed up and out of line that God is about to talk to you about. So perk up, Israel, because the next few weeks are going to grind on you a little bit. They needed a refreshing of their faith. And so God sends them Malachi, calling them. See, life and circumstances have a way of causing us to drift from the things that really make a difference. And sometimes we simply need our faith to be refreshed and our commitment to be made new and so we're, that's what we're going to do is we're looking through this series. It, it fits and folds right in with our 21 days of prayer, with our week of consecration, with communion. At the beginning of this year, we want to get our faith right. We want to be renewed in the spirit. 
so that we can walk in the power of God throughout the rest of the year. We want, we want to come back from our wandering and from our distraction and get our eyes back on the things that, that really matter. We, we are coming for fresh faith this January. And so the, the first thing we want to tackle this week is, is having fresh perspective in problems. Somebody say fresh perspective in problems. If Israel is familiar with anything in this time period, it's problems. hundred years have passed since they've come out of Babylon. And they're the grandchildren of those who had come out of exile. They, they've grown up living in the aftermath of captivity. And as a nation and people, they're just limping along. They're not doing that well. They were faithless. They're passionless. They're confused with their place in the world, constantly under attack. And living far below the blessings that we usually associate with the children of God. It's intriguing how Malachi's message begins to them because in the middle of all of those problems, he cuts to the root of all of their issues. They have lost faith in the love of God because of their circumstances. Now listen, it it sounds weird, but we're going to take a close look at the first five verses in Malachi. Malachi 1.1 in ESV says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Malachi opens the, the letter by saying, I love you from God. God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? How ironic that the first thing that he tackles is their faith. God says, I love you. And they say, how do you love us? Look around at our life. He said, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. And if Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I'll tear it down. And they will be called the wicked country. And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. God says, I love you. And they say, how do you love us? And God says, I love you, but I I hate Esau. And Edom is the nation that is descended from Esau. And he says that when judgment comes upon them, they're going to say, we'll rebuild. But God says, I'll never let it happen. I'll never let it happen. And, And they are the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. And he says, your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God says, I loved you. And they say, how? And God answers by contrasting two nations that came from the two brothers, Israel, or uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. Israel and Edom. Israel were the descendants of Jacob. Edom are the descendants of Esau. And, And maybe you remember this story. Is it all right if we just rewind and and lay some foundation here for a little bit? You you probably remember this story if you went to Sunday school, how that Rebecca was Isaac's wife and and she was barren, right? And she prayed and and asked God to give her a child. And God heard her. And, And then Genesis 25 says that the Lord remembered her and she became pregnant. And, and, uh, so, uh, Jacob and Esau are the two sons. Genesis 25 says that the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, while they're still in the womb, she doesn't know that she has twins. 
Venus feels some turmoil in her pregnancy. And she says this in the English Standard Version. She asks, why is this happening to me? You see the parallel? How have you loved us? And he, he, he starts comparing Israel and Edom, Jacob and Esau. And, and at the beginning of the story of Jacob and Esau, there's a story of struggle. Before they ever got out of the womb, they were fighting over Nintendo games. I don't know what they were fighting over in there. But before they ever came out, they were struggling with one another. They were fighting within her womb. And she doesn't even realize what's happening. She says, why is this happening to me? I, is there any pregnant women who have ever asked that question while you're pregnant? Why me? Why is this happening? First Eve, a time or two, I'm pretty sure all have. I'm not trying to scare you tonight. Their twin brothers and their struggle with one another started while they're in their mother's womb. And Rebecca went to inquire the Lord and said, why is this happening uh, to me? And he declared to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. The older, that wasn't the way of things in the Old Testament and in ancient times. It was the oldest son that was the one to inherit the birthright and the blessing. But we know the story. We know how Jacob came out holding on to the heel of his older brother Esau. And we know how when the opportunity arose that he tricked his brother into giving up his birthright because he was so hungry that he thought he was going to die. And so he leveraged a situation against his brother to steal his birthright. And then later he fools his own father and deceives his own father to receive the blessing. You see, Rebecca asked, why is it happening to me? Why is this going on? And the reason that she was struggling was because there was a, a struggle inside of her that was really not about that moment. It was about the future. Two nations struggling. A future and a purpose in the plan of God was within her. And so she felt the pain of the struggle on the inside. And, and here, all these generations later in the book of Malachi, God is using that scene and that story to remind Israel about the covenant that he made with their forefather, Jacob. That he loved them because he had chosen them. Not because they deserved it. Not because they earned it. But because he chose them. And because they were his covenant children. And all these generations later, the same children of Rebekah, the descendants of Rebekah are asking the same question. Why are these things happening to us? God says, I have loved you. And they say, wherein have you loved us? Because we're not feeling the love right now. Anybody ever felt that way? Like, God, I just, I just don't feel too loved. Convicted, struggle, struggling, hurting, weak. We've all felt those things and questions. Is God really for me? Is God really on my side? And in all these generations, God opens up his message to these people who need renewing in their faith. And he says, I have loved you. But you say, wherein have I loved you? And he says, have not I loved Jacob and Esau have I hated and listen, here's, here's the thing. They say, how do you love us? And God loved Israel, but they're limping along, struggling. And God hated Edom. But if you really look at the history and, and the commentaries, I'll read some of them to you. Edom was doing pretty good. Two nations 
living alongside each other, cousins, right? Descendants from the same bloodline. And Edom, they, they've completely abandoned God. They don't live for God. They, they, they've become cohorts of Babylon and the enemy. They, they helped put Israel in captivity, blocked the escape route so they couldn't get away from Babylon. And here they are. Israel is struggling, and they have the covenant and blessing of God. And Edom is thriving, and they've been working against what God is doing. And so they say, how do you love us, God? He says, I love you, and I have loved you like I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. And they're just not seeing. How, how have you loved us? A hundred years have passed. And the kingdom that God's prophets predicted has still not come to pass yet. Instead, the people are dominated by foreign peoples and government still. They're experiencing hard times economically. They're poor. While the nation of Israel is ravaged by the Assyrian and Babylonian empires, Edom is doing just fine. While Israel is struggling to rebuild, Edom appears to be prosperous. God declares that his hand of blessing and promised presence are on Israel, not Edom. And he declares judgment on Edom. And I believe that God is stepping into the middle of all the problems that they're experiencing. And he's trying to give them new perspective, a different perspective on their problem. Because they have concluded by how they feel and by what they're experiencing, that God must not love them. And we do the same thing all the time. Your car breaks down, you lose your job, all of a sudden you're fighting with your spouse, your kids don't want to hear it, they got bad grades, and you start questioning, God, what is going on here? Anybody ever ask God that? Hey, I'm trying to live for you down here. Oh, Joe Bob, he don't even go to church. He just got a raise, pulled up in a brand new Lexus. And we're over here struggling, God. Where's the blessing of God? Can we get real? I, I've been there. I've asked God, God, I'm, I was a home missionary. God, I'm out here giving it my best. Doing everything I can. Gave up everything to go start a church. And then some other church down the road that barely tries is just blowing up in revival. God, don't, don't you love me too? You see, their perspective of their problems tied their prosperity to the love of God. And, and why would God draw attention to the glaring discrepancy between how Israel and Edom are living? Because Israel had allowed the pressure of the process that they were in to convince them that God's promises were not true. That God was not for them. That he was not committed to his covenant. But that that this is why they needed fresh faith. It all began with their perspective in problems because they thought that they would come out of captivity and all the prophecies would unfold at one minute. Two weeks in, everything was going to be just right and everything's going to be good and clicking. But when reality didn't meet their expectations, they start questioning God because they see the problems. Anybody ever done that? Somebody's doing it right now because I believe that's why we're led to preach it. We're questioning, God, where are you in all this? Why are they doing so well and I'm struggling so bad? Listen, difficulties 
does not mean that God is against you. I, I can't think of a better culture to preach this to than what I'm preaching tonight. Because difficulty does not mean that God is against you. There was a man that went to our church, a very wealthy man, and uh, this is when I was a youth pastor, and he came boiling out of my, my dad's office. I walked in, he was mad, mad as hops, and uh, I don't even know what that means, that's just a southern term, mad as hops, uh, golf club. He was ticked off, he came out, his face was red, he, he came out of that office, I walked in as he was going out, and I said, man, what's the issue? walked in here and gave me a questioning of my life of why God would allow his vehicle to be broken into at Walmart. And with all that he's given to God and all that he's done for God, how could God let that happen to him? We laughed. I laughed. I said, are you serious? He's ready to curse God because somebody stole his Gaither CD. He's ready, he's ready to throw in the towel. <laughs> but, but that's how we are. The minute things don't go like we think they should, we start thinking God is against us. How could you let this happen to me, God? How could you let my family go through this, God? I have served you. Listen, I don't believe there's a preacher out there that probably hasn't said this at some time. God, I've served you. Why is this happening? Why am I struggling? Why is it so difficult? Probably after those saints that complain about that kind of thing walked out of the office. But difficulty doesn't mean that God's against you. Israel saw their problems and they concluded God doesn't love me. You see, our perspective on problems can deceive us into thinking that prosperity equals blessing and that problems equals judgment. But here God says, I love you. And here's how I want to show you that I love you. Edom is over here doing good and they're, they're, they're prospering by what it appears. But what you don't know is I'm about to judge Edom. And when I judge them, they'll never come back from it. They will always be underneath the judgment of God. There is no getting up from where they're at. But you're over here struggling and you have a hope. You have a future. You have a promise. You have the love of an eternal God that even though you've messed up, even though you've failed, even though you, you got out of whack and everything's mixed up and your faith is languished, I'm bringing you back, honey. I'm bringing you back, Israel. I'm bringing my bride back. And God is showing them that, that don't let problems fool you into thinking that prosperity means blessing and that difficulty means cursing. Wealth and prosperity are not always signs of God's blessing. And difficulty is not always a sign of his judgment. Of all the sons of Jacob, Joseph's steps were perhaps more ordained and more ordered than any of the other twelve. He had dreams and visions as a young man, and all he got for it because of the touch of God on his life was problems. His brothers had problems with him. His parents had problems with him. They threw him in a pit, and he did well for a little while until, guess what, that ugly old problems come back again. And he's falsely accused of trying to rape his boss's wife, and he's thrown into the prison where he serves well, and then he's forgotten by a butler. He, he lives through stuff that you and I, we would have given up on God. 
the first day in the pit. God, I thought you had a dream for me. But Joseph stayed faithful. And his steps were ordered and ordained because God had something for him to do. Something that was more important than his feelings. Something that was more important than how he felt in the moment. And what we do is in the middle of problems, we let our feelings start telling us who our God is and how our God is and what our God's going to do. And, and, and that's not the way it works. Sometimes God plants you in, in problems because he's got a plan for you. We must never decide that God doesn't love us because of how we feel in the middle of the story. What, what if Joseph had given up at the pit? family would have starved and died without the intervention of God. We must never decide that God doesn't care and that God isn't for us because of how we feel in the middle of the story. Ben Shapiro always says, facts don't care about your feelings. And listen, what is true is still true whether we feel like it's true or not. Israel is limping along and they're looking at Edom and they're saying, God, You brought us out of captivity, but we're over here still waiting for you to restore your kingdom. In fact, they're still waiting when Jesus comes to the disciples. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still waiting, still waiting, still waiting, not not aware of what God is doing, waiting on it to happen and concluding that because it's not happening the way we thought it would, that God must not love us. The truth of God's love and commitment to his people transcends how we feel when we're struggling along. And when it looks like the world is living better than the church, and when the enemies of God are prospering more than the people of God, difficulty doesn't mean God's against you. Sometimes the struggle is evidence of our future. It's the struggle that Rebecca had in her womb that was going to bring forth nations. That's why she felt the pain of the struggle. Israel wasn't struggling because God hated them. They were struggling because they were coming out of being captives. They were rebuilding the society that God uh, would be at the center stage of. For the Savior of the world would show up in the middle of the society that they were rebuilding. They're struggling now. They're limping along now. But they are God's people. And He loved them enough that even uh, even through their disobedience and backsliding, He loved them enough to bring them back from the brink. Of a failed faith. See, God, God uses difficulty to refine our faith. Those seasons, though unpleasant and trying, are times of God's gracious refining of our faith. What God is doing is He's preparing Israel to bring forth the kingdom. And it looks like other nations are doing better. And, and their Fortune 500 over in Edom is, is much higher than it is over here in Israel. And the economy is better and jobs are flowing that direction and it seems like the hand of blessing on them. But listen, God uses difficulty to refine our faith. And difficulty doesn't mean that God's against us. And, and here's the second part to that. Prosperity doesn't mean that God is for us. Israel was plagued with the same problem of modern fluff Christianity. I did this sermon. They were just like us in so many ways in this day and age. They believed that the love of God would always lead to pleasure and prosperity. Only they were on the opposite side of it. They were living in poverty. But they had the same core belief that that fluff Christianity, your best life now. I wonder if that's how Paul felt when he was getting stoned like three times or beat with rods. 
just living my best life now. Nobody tell Joel that the apostles all suffered and died except for one. Because God's will isn't always for us to have pleasure and prosperity. And God's love is not shown simply through pleasure and prosperity. It's shown through His purpose. It, see, today, people are too hooked on LSD in the church. You know what that LSD is? It's levels, seasons, and dimensions. You hear preachers preach about it all the time. We're going to another level. And hey, if it's the Word of God, let's preach it. But I, w- I wonder, I read some of these things. I follow people online, and they post, and they, they share, and it says, you're going to a new level. And I, I think, you don't even know me. I might be a heroin dealer. And here I am reading, I'm going to another level. I'm leveling up in the spirit this year. People are hooked on LSD because they think that if they prosper, that equates to the love and the approval of God. Listen, their faith is tied to how successful they are, how much money they have, how well known they are, how well respected they are, how many followers they have online. There is no room in that kind of faith for a God that will put you through a process in order to bring you to an outcome. There's no room for a God that requires sacrifice. No room for a God that loves us enough to allow us to live through the consequences of our own decisions and living. Here's the thing about Israel. The reason they were struggling and limping along is because they came out of captivity. And the reason they went into captivity is because they couldn't obey God to save their life. They kept backsliding and abandoning and, and, and they, they took God's word and they took the parts they liked and, and they just ignored the parts they didn't. But listen, the truth is that sometimes the wicked prosper while the righteous are struggling. Psalm 37 David said, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious because of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust, listen to this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. I love that passage. How many of you ever quoted that? Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to win that, that new election for, for Satan. I just delight. No. Do you, do you realize that scripture was set in the context of seeing the wicked prosper? Seeing the wicked doing well. And he says, do not fret because of how well Edom is doing. Don't get caught up in what they have and what you don't have. Don't be envious of wrongdoers because a judgment is coming to them and they will soon fade. But he says, but if you will trust in the Lord, if you'll do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. In other words, when problems come, here's your perspective. Don't worry about what's happening with them. Don't worry about what's happening to you. Just trust the Lord and do the right thing. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. Look, if you're struggling, you know what you need to do? Be more faithful. Become best friends with faithfulness. If the church is having something, show up to it. If we're doing 21 days of prayer, befriend faithfulness. Make faithfulness your new best friend. 
Because he said, if you will trust the Lord, if you will obey him, if you'll do good, if you'll trust him, commit your way to him, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, it may not happen right now. It may not even happen in this life. It may happen over when you receive your eternal reward. But if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Wealth and health are not always indicators of God's blessing. See, it rains on the just and the unjust. I know we say that when when uh, bad things happen to good people, but it's really written the other way around because rain was a considered a sign of blessing. And this is what Solomon said. He said that it rains upon the just and upon the unjust. In other words, they get blessed too. The difference is, is that their blessing stays in this world where ours is in another world. Our investment is not for what we gain here. Our investment is for what we gain in eternity. And so we can die poor, but if we live saved, we will be rich. Amen. I hasten on because I need to finish this lesson. So how how can we get fresh perspective in Proverbs? I'm just going to share three quick points before I wrap it up. How do we do it? How do we do it? How did Israel do it? First of all, God was calling them to remember the covenant, not to look at the condition. Look at the covenant, not the condition. God reminds them. He says, I've loved Jacob, but I've hated Esau. I've rejected Esau. You are the children of Jacob. And Jacob, remember Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. That's where the covenant of God came down through. And God is reminding them. Of that they are in covenant community with Him. And so when we feel problems affecting our faith and affecting our relationship with God, and we can't worship because of what we're struggling with and what we're dealing with, listen, remember the covenant. Look to the covenant, not to the condition. Don't worry about how you feel. And I know it's easier to say that than it is to do that. But you've got to stop looking at how you feel and interpreting the world by how you feel and just anchor yourself in the fact that I am a blood-bought baptized child of God that I've been born of the water I've been born of the spirit that he put his name upon me that I am his own and that I have a book full of promises that apply to me whether I feel like they do right now or not so I can't look at my conditions I've got to look to the covenant not the condition second I've got to look to the promise not to the present he says that he will soon judge Edom right I'm soon going to judge Edom, and they'll never come back from it. But I have loved you. There was a promise in God's words that he was telling Israel, don't look at what's happening now, but, but you need to live for what God will do. Not for what he's doing right now or what you, you want him to do right now. Live for what God will do. Live for tomorrow. Paul said it this way. He says, none of these things move me. Neither count I my, my life dear unto myself. He, he said that you, they, they threw everything at him to try to get him to back off of his calling, his purpose, and his life for God. But he said, none of these things move me. Why? Because he said, I, I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul is saying, they can beat me. They can stone me, they can kill me, they can put me in the grave, but they can never take what God has promised me. That if I'll just keep fighting, if I'll finish my course, and if I'll keep the faith, 
there's a crown ahead of you. And so we live for the promise that is ahead instead of for the feeling of the present. And here's the last one I want to share. Is we need to look to the word and not to the world. Look to the word and not to the world. You know why Israel got so twisted in their faith? Because they came out of Babylon and they had Babylon thinking even though they were in the Israel covenant. Deuteronomy, if they had read it carefully, the covenant shows clearly that the struggles would come from the result of the disobedience. They would have seen it coming a mile away. They would have understood their present crisis if they had only understood that the moment that they walked away from faithfulness and obedience to God's word, that they were preparing a future of pain and struggle. The nation as a whole needed to repent from the sin of unbelief and fall in love wholeheartedly with the Lord. Listen, the next few weeks we're going to look at, at really how off they were. They, they didn't even believe God loved them. And it impacted everything they did. They brought lame sacrifice. They intermarried and intermingled with the world. They forgot about the coming Messiah and stopped looking for Him to come and preparing for Him to come. And the root of it all was that they started looking at the way the world does things and adopting Babylon's attitude towards life. We need to look to the Word and not to the world. I leave you with this simple thought that obedience is the best indicator of your outcome. Wherever you're at in your faith, whatever you're feeling like, how you feel is not the best indicator of how you're going to come out. How intense your time of prayer is and how deeply you cry isn't the indicator. It's not on your feelings. It's in your obedience. Because it takes a lot of faith when you've been praying and not feeling to continue to be obedient, to continue to trust God, to continue to walk through it, to continue to press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling, knowing I'm not there yet, knowing that I'm not perfect, knowing that I've got struggles, knowing that all of these things still need to be straightened out in my life. And that that's the beauty of what I see in Malachi. Israel was living just as sinfully as Edom. But God had judged Edom. And he was telling Israel that if you'll put your love, your hope, your faith, your trust in me, there's hope for you again. And that's the message I leave you with tonight. Is God loves you. And there's always a road to recovery. Amen. I want us to stand together. Amen. Our ushers, please come at this time. We're going to get ready to give. While they come, can we just... Uh, lift our hands and ask the Lord, Lord, you see that we need fresh perspective in problems, God. You know precisely where we are, God. We ask you, God, to give us fresh perspective at the beginning of this year, God. God, open our minds and hearts to look again to the promises that are in your word, to look again to your unfailing character, your unfailing love that as many times as we've messed up, you've never given up on us, God. You've never given out on us, God, that you're faithful to us to the end. God, I pray for fresh perspective so that we may have fresh faith in Jesus' name. We pray you bless the offering and tithing tonight. Our giving.